1: Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the Tennis Channel Insight In Podcast on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. My name is Mitch Michaels from the Santa Monica Studios. As always, we're at the end of March. We're going to the second leg of the Sunshine Double now. Indian Wells in the rear view and joined by one of my favorite, if not the favorite guests of this show. We'll see if he is at the end of this one. But it's Leif Cyrus. Leif, thanks for joining
2: Great to be a part of it again. I appreciate that compliment about being your favorite guest. Because you have had some good guests on
1: here. I've had some. And I'm going to say one of, you could earn favorite. you got to have something to play for, right? You can't just, you know, it's yeah. not a hit and giggle here. we got right. some stuff to play I'll for. I'll try
2: and step up and be at my best.
1: We've, uh, you know, I like this time of year for a lot of reasons. you got the 2,000 level uh, tournaments in the U.S. Indian Wells in the rear view, as I mentioned. Miami to going on now. But we start with... Uh, one of the more shocking retirements in sports and in tennis in a long time, Ash Barty saying goodbye at age 25, Leaf, three Grand Slams, won her last match at the Australian Open, has been on a tear, uh, just dominant in these Grand Slam finals, 3-0, and and 113 straight weeks at number one, three years. You know, only f- four other women have ever finished the year at number one, three years in a row. Chrissy Everett, Martina Navratilova, Serena Williams, Steffi Graff. So rarefied air for Ash Barty, but the decision to retire on top, and it's so young, how does this strike you?
2: I mean, you have to be surprised by the move. Um, at the same time, I think you have to respect it. Um, she, this is her second time she's retired. I think there are a number of things at play here. You know, one of them being that, like most great players who become elite pros. I think they spend a lot of time in the juniors traveling as if they were pros and she started at a very young age traveling. So I think, I think there was a little bit of, I remember the words when she first retired, the words burnout were used Mm -hmm. a little bit. I think she spoke about that, that she just felt like she'd had enough the first time. Now this time I feel like she's achieved so much and done so much and earned so much money that she can make these kinds of decisions with the freedom and the comfort and the knowing that she's making the right decision. So I think it's a little bit unprecedented in sport to see someone retiring so long, although, you know, Justine Ennen retired at 25. Bjorn Borg left the sport at, what, 26, 27. But people also have to remember that Bjorn Borg turned pro at 15. You know, he was playing Davis Cup at a very young age for Sweden, so his early retirement, I think, like uh, Ash, you're going to see justified reasons for her, you know, saying I've had enough. She said she was done Uh, emotionally. She said she didn't have it in the tank to do the physical training required. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think there's a lot of good, solid justification for the move, even though I think catches all of us (laughs) by surprise. But I think the other bottom line is she's making the kind of money that gives her the freedom to make that decision. I think she's got enough money in in the tank, in the bank, to say hey i'm gonna buy a cricket team or i'm gonna do what i want and that's a an amazing luxury and you're still 25. what a what an amazing time in life for her
1: danielle collins was the one that brought that up it it just shows how empowering the sport is the female sport at that where you can retire at this age and be set for life which she is Uh, i do think that the australia component too i mean we're talking about life on the road and the grind obviously these past couple years haven't been easy on anybody but the travel side of you know where your home base is in australia and that's got to be as hard as anything. Your options are essentially, I think I saw John Wertheim say this, set up a, a base somewhere in America or somewhere in Europe, or you're basically just never really home.
2: Yeah. And I mean, I think that was the first story we heard that, okay, she was you know healing her body. She needed a little bit of time. But then we heard, okay, she's going to play her first tennis in April, that she might be playing Fed Cup for Australia, I believe it was against Slovakia. And then we get the news of the retirement So I I think a lot of that Australia thing is at play, living on that far side of the world where you have to do so much traveling. It's hard to go home Mm -hmm. and back a number of times during the season, like American players can do going to Europe or European players traveling to the U.S. or maybe even South America. But yeah, I think those are all reasons why Ash decided to say no mas. Mm -hmm.
1: You know, I'm just going to selfishly miss her game, was a huge fan of just how she played, how she was different. The first time and the only time I ever saw her play in person was at Indian Wells, Um, and she carved up a a friend of the show, and I hate bringing this up. I brought it up to her (laughs) when we talked, but Jen Brady, before Brady kind of broke through, uh, I just was struck by how much of a competitor Ash was, how she would make adjustments, how she never really got down in points, and how her game was was predicated on variety and also frustrating the opponent and how she had a style that was so unique and that was so predicated on working so hard. Uh, selfishly, I'm going to miss her. I think it's unfortunate that the game was just starting to see her as that alpha, as that top predator in the food chain. Uh, and we've been waiting for that since, probably since Serena Williams has lost that mantle or Naomi Osaka has been been there and been out. So um, her place in the game is set, though. She is a surefire Hall of Famer, has the Olympic medal of the boot, number one for so many years, three Grand Slams on three different surfaces, Uh, made her mark. If this is it, which it may not be, but if this is it, it's still uh, a bona fide Hall of Fame career.
2: Yes. And, uh, you know, that's such an impressive resume (laughs) that you're reading to me. I mean, I'm I'm just catching my breath going, wow, what what an amazing achievement. And for someone so young, just, as I said, 25, but she had the kind of game that was so perfect for the modern game, that low under spin backhand, get the ball out of people's strike zone, and then grabbing the advantage. There was a little bit of Federer about it, how she could suddenly grab the advantage, very skilled at the net when she needed to clean up points. slice
1: backhand. Oh, money. (laughs) Just
2: so money. (laughs) which she has in the bank, a lot Mm. of it and, uh, and a very good serve. She wasn't, you know, overly tall, like a, you know, Carolina Pliskova or someone like that, but she got so much out of her serve as well. So she did check a lot of the boxes, what it takes to be a dominant player. I think you have to have weapons, a big serve and a big forehand. She had those, but she also had that little difference maker in that underspin backhand that uh, put everyone else sort of ill at ease. They never found a comfortable place below the level of the net. And, Mm. You know, I think if you're an elite player, you have to bring something every day that everyone has to adjust to. People are making adjustments to what you do. And uh, she certainly brought that. What's amazing about the competitors you talk about, probably one of the nicest people that's true. in the world, which is remarkable, right? It was the
1: first thing everybody said. And that's a great point about the serve. Pound for pound, probably the best on tour because she just isn't that big. Um, but yeah, everybody talked about how nice she was, how she just had that positive outlook. But there's a lot, I mean, it, it takes a lot. You know, to be a pro tennis player, it takes a lot, and you have to put in a lot of time. And, and I totally get it because her career is set, and it's she's accomplished so much She she doesn't need to do anything else. Yep. We're all selfish that we'd want her to... To uh, play some more. So best best luck, to Ash party in retirement. Buy a cricket team, golf, scratch golf. She who knows? Could,
2: yeah, she could do a lot of things. And you know, I've been hearing a lot of discussions. It's it's a transcendent topic because I'm hearing it on PTI and a number of these other sports shows. They're saying, oh, I I expect her that she'll be making a, another comeback. And I'm thinking, I don't know. I, I just feel like she's in such a good, comfortable place. I think she's going to be very happy where she is. Maybe even starting a family. You know, mm-hmm. these, all these considerations that a young woman of 25 should have, she's going to be able to do that.
1: Well, as we translate to and transition to the current state of the women's game now, just looking at last year's Miami Open, which Ash Barty won. After that ranking period, there's only two of those 10 women in the top 10. Uh, a lot of them, or two of them, are retired. We have a few that have well dropped off. So it's a different time. Uh, what we do know is after the Heels of Indian Wells, Igas Swiatek, who dismantled Maria Sakari in the final, is going to be the number one player in the world unless she loses the match tomorrow. And then Paula Bedosa would have to win the tournament. So odds are pretty strong that it's going to be Iga at number one. 20 years old. And I bring this up because she's someone that's been around a few years, won the major, dipped a little, but then has really been coming on strong. I thought even before Ash Barty announced her retirement that Iga Swiatek had all the tools to be number one, and it's going to happen a lot sooner than even I thought.
2: Yeah, and uh, you know, listening to Iga being interviewed about that and asked about that, I you know, I don't think she wants to you know take the number one because of her retirement. She'd rather prove it and achieve it on her own, which is something I think that was an eventuality an inevitability. Uh, She has the game right now. She's the it girl, I think. Her game, her suddenly, this new attitude about being aggressive and taking it to people where before she wasn't. So it's going to be well-deserved when it happens. shes I want to say she's earned it because of all the things she's done. And look out for her because she's only going to get better. She's 20.
1: 20. Well, think about (laughs) this, too, and and from the mental side of things, and obviously it's always a huge accomplishment to win a Grand Slam at any point in your career, but winning it early – Now, we know you kind of have to prove your bones on tour, but there's never that question of, well, she's number one or she's highly ranked or she's got all these titles. Can't she do it in the majors? She has already.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So expect her to do bigger and better things, you know, and I think that's the way she perceives herself. I think she wants all of those things and she has sort of that emotional mental makeup You know, she's addressed all the important things in tennis. You know, she's got the physical qualities. She has weapons. Her serve is going to get better, but her forehand is huge. And I think she's getting the mental side of the game right. I think she was way ahead of the curve, having a sports psychologist travel with her, the way she thinks about the game, and she thinks seriously about it. Uh, When you have support in that regard, that's hugely significant. I think more players could use the kind of things that she's doing
1: and absolutely dominant in finals. She's five, just won her last five, and I looked at the scores. Hasn't dropped a set. There's just two fourths set lines in there. Everything else has been some bagels, some, a lot of ones in there. Like, <laughs> Do they serve bagels in Rome? I mean, it <laughs> seems like they might. Yeah, what was that? That She played, what was that, Pliskova a couple Carolina years ago?
2: 0-0. Oh, no.
1: oh. Ooh. Yeah, that's a tough one. But I, I think that she does, like you say, have the right attitude. Uh, on the heels of that, Sakri making her first ma- Masters final. There's no Ash Barty. Uh, you know, Sabalenka's the top seed of Miami, and there's just a lot going on <laughs> with that. Who do you expect to step up? Is there is there somebody that you're looking at outside of the new number one in Iga Swiatek that we assume is going to get it? Is there anybody else you think might step up?
2: Well, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like, Maria Sakkari is at the door of, you know, maybe making a breakthrough. Amazing to think that she's been a top tenner for a little bit of a while now and making these major strides in the big events, finals of Indian Wells, but she only has the one title. I feel like she's knocking at the door, point away from Roland Garros final last year, but I do feel like perhaps Annette Contevate is a player who should be breaking down the door at the majors and making deeper runs. She certainly proved it on indoor courts and on a hard court. Uh, her aggressive style now is translating to winning, and she should be, I think, a player who, if she can make a deep run at a major, she's got a shot to make a run at number one, don't you think?
1: I absolutely think that. She's only got one quarterfinal. It was in Australia in 2020. Um, last year, 2021, she didn't make even the fourth round of any major, which is insane for somebody that's you know going to be in the top three, it looks like, going forward. I just, I I hear what you're saying about soccer. I think it's been a slower progression just age-wise. We're used to, you know, win it all or it all comes together quickly. For her, and there, you know, everybody in life just, you know, moves forward at different paces. It's been very incremental, which could be good. Maybe it's just the next step, you know, will come sooner rather than later. But she seems to slightly be getting better at all the things on the court and off. Now with Vardy gone, with one less foe in the way, I mean, it, it sucks to say because we all like watching Ash Vardy, but <laughs> it is one less obstacle for these girls to face.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I want to say that, you know, a lot of the women embrace this new aggressive hitting. Maria Sakri, Iga Fiantek. I mean, I think someone like Maria Sharapova, Serena Williams, they emerge and establish themselves because of the big game, their ability to out-hit a lot of players. But I think as their careers move along, they have to add a little bit of variety, a little bit of savoir faire. And I think that's something that perhaps Maria Sakari might be able to use. Um, I think Annette Contevate has a little bit of that, although she's embraced this new aggressive approach and it's paid off big times. But I think players do have to have a variety and some element that's going to allow them to win in a different way than just hitting. And um, I think that's going to be the next adventure for a lot of these women, how they embrace that.
1: I don't What was that? Sawa fair? What language were you
2: talking here? <laughs> I'm going to get my translator out here. I know. Well, I, that's, I'm trying to get into that favorite mode. I'm trying to okay. go deep.
1: <laughs> Leif is here on Tennis Channel Inside In. The uh, men's Indian Wells tournament was won by Taylor Fritz. You could argue this might have been the biggest American tennis accomplishment in a decade or so. No one had won this tournament since two th- on the American side since 2001, Andre Agassi. And Fritz beats Rafael Nadal, who I think we both know that both men were compromised going into this final. It was unclear if Fritz was even going to play with the warm-up issues before. Nadal, we found out later, has a cracked rib. But just on the fritz surface, I mean, you take the court, you're on the match. It's better man wins. We all get that. This is a huge breakthrough for for a guy who has been getting better. We mentioned incrementally better, but he's been improving. He's been putting in the work, and he finally has that big result over a top flight player.
2: Yeah, and uh, winning a major title like this a Masters 1000 is just, I think that's such a huge confidence boost to the things you're doing, the hard work you put in. I think we all know how ambitious and how much Taylor Fritz wants the success he has. He wants to be that kind of guy that can deliver big titles and lead his nation as the top man. Uh, He's got a great team behind him. He's got a great tennis family. I mean, there's so many good qualities about Taylor, and you love to see a guy like that have success. And I I think American tennis needs to have... The big dog, that that A guy in the top of the list, much like Andy Roddick, and yeah. Pete Sampras, and Andre. I, I mean, you just got to have that. You need that sort of leadership that can muster all the other players to say, hey, I can do this. Yeah. And so Taylor's sort of done that. Now it's we need an American to do well at a Grand Slam. And so I, I think all these guys are knocking on the door.
1: I think he's borderline top 10, like 13 or so with that win. Uh, he's been the guy. In his generation, and and you know, you can talk about who might be up next, who's coming on. Fritz is the American guy right now, and I think we'd all agree that he's been putting it together. You love to see it, uh, and you know the tournament that he grew up in California, going to, and you know seeing the whole team there. It's been pretty cool. I do want to know about Rafa. How does a tennis player get a cracked rib? That's I like an old hockey injury. Yeah, exactly. Man, it was impressive. I
2: thought that might <laughs> have been a, a high stick behind yeah. the net somewhere. Uh-huh. Talk about the effort, the physical commitment he makes. I mean, he speaks about the Spanish tradition by expressing himself in that way. So much so that he cracked. I mean, the rib injury. injury, Talk about the torque and the stopping and starting. Whatever that brought it on. I mean, incredible to think.
1: Did you think that, I mean, what Ralph has done so far this year, uh, that was the first loss of the season. All those titles beforehand uh, just thoroughly competing when he doesn't have to. He had pulled out of Miami before the injury talk even became serious. But I'm just I I marvel at his game, but the like you said, the compete level, that semifinal match against Carlos Alcaraz, who is by all accounts the next, the next guy. He's gonna be there. (laughs) Yes. And there it's like what does Rafa really have to prove? Nothing. But he's still out there against the next guy, obviously getting or had been compromised but still fighting and still figuring out a way to win the third set when Alcaraz is serving beautifully. One game, one opening, that's it. We're going home to Dolwyn's.
2: <laughs> exactly. And in probably the most challenging conditions we've seen in a long time, I and mean, it was just horrible that day with the winds blowing. And
1: Did you think they were going to stop
2: the match? I actually, for this in the second yeah. set, it was getting so bad that I okay. thought there might have been a delay or a pause at least. But they kept fighting on, and I, maybe the players – At the end of the day, would have liked to just continue, which they did. But, yeah, Nadal just gets into that mode that he's not going to give in, that he's going to accept this challenge, and he's still able to do it. You know, he's just a marvel. Um, We're lucky to have him. I mean, the bad news for him, he's going to, you know, he's not going to be able to play Monte Carlo, one of his beloved events, not going to be able to play Barcelona. Maybe he'll be back from Madrid. We'll see what happens with that. Rome, I'm sure he'd probably be Rome. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Now, the timetable for this is four to six weeks. Right. On the casual, on the shorter side of that, he's fine for Madrid. We know it's Rafael Nadal. It's clay court tennis. If he's healthy for the French, he's going to be the favorite. That's how this works. Yeah. But
2: but that's what, nine weeks out, the yes, French. So he's got time.
1: He's such a well-oiled machine and a master of preparation yes. and routine that you know he's bumming because he wants to treat clay court season the same way i play monte carlo i mean he wins all these (laughs) events too but missing out on monte carlo in barcelona you know in barcelona where they named the court after him he's not going to be happy he can obviously adjust but this is going to throw a wrench not a big one but a wrench into his preparation
2: i i I think so you know and he's a player with all these matches in his, you know, history and all these amazing titles, he still likes to get his reps before he gets to the biggest uh, events. And I can just remember so many times. How many times have we seen him play at Monte Carlo, win Monte Carlo on Sunday, and Monday morning at ten a.m. he's hitting balls at the Real Club in Barcelona. You know, this—that's just the ritual that he has, that commitment to the game and to the process. So he is going to miss a few of the steps along the way, yeah. and I, I worry that Madrid could be threatened you know that that's another week and i mean obviously this is an injury you don't want to you know you want to make sure it's right, right before you go out on court so i would think rome i think he's definitely going to be rome i still think madrid is up in the air does but he play again, another
1: tournament after rome then does he actually do the week before if he's wanting to get reps in yeah
2: i don't mm-hmm. know i think rome's going to be his test drive mm-hmm. he'll see how the rib is yeah. um, hopefully it's going to be right but i'm pretty sure we will see him in paris again <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: it might o- You know, who it might open up for? Someone that's going to hit, by all accounts, hit the clay court ground running is Novak Djokovic. We what about seen. Dominic
2: Team yeah, and Marbella? He's yeah. coming back uh, yeah. playing
1: the Marbella. I think it's the challenger level. Getting back out there, two French Open finals.
2: Great to see that, right? It is.
1: It's. I, I, I'm glad that Team's back. I, I hope the, the risks. You know, you got to worry about these things. Yeah. Risks you of do. all things. You do. But you know, the rest of the Indian Wells thoughts. I did want to get your thoughts on Carlos Alcaraz and just his improvements. Yeah. This is pretty steep. Like, I mean, you never want to compare anyone to the big three, but what he's done still being a teenager, you know, the work he's put into his body, to his game, the improvements he's made. I mean, this is something special, and I think we got to just acknowledge that and just kind of see where this goes, because he's looking like a top 10, top five player already.
2: Yeah, and he has a a little more of an all-court sensibility than Nadal did at this age and a little more of that aggressive thinking of, of Roger Federer at this age than, than Rafa. So he's not essentially a grinder, although I think he can grind because he's physically gifted like Rafa. But, I mean, the wins he had in Indian Wells suggest that he's, he's handling guys fairly routinely, which is a little bit frightening when you think of how young he is and the confidence he already possesses. You know, the win in Rio, obviously that was helpful to build the confidence that he already has plenty of. So this is the next guy, and it's fun to watch. Although, I think it's happening too quickly. He's having too much success too quickly. Way too fast. Uh, But, I mean, come on. I mean, the ball he produces off the ground is so heavy with pace and spin, yet he can flatten out so comfortably. He doesn't play with extreme grips, which I like, which gives him a sense of transition. He's coming in and volleying sometimes and really catching me by surprise. I mean, I wasn't sure he'd be able to do that as consistently as he does but he's winning a majority of those points when he takes the ball in the air.
1: It's been a blast to watch him, you know, watch him develop and watch him grow. Um, just a couple more quick things before we move to Miami. Do you feel like Medvedev felt the, the pressure of the number one ranking or, you know, Mo who has been around and, and has played these guys, but that was, you know, a, a rare win against a number one ranked player for him. So he breaks through and the way that third set went, do you think the pressure was on a little bit?
2: I, th- I think a little bit, perhaps, um, he didn't play his best match, and I think Monfils, even though he's in his mid-30s, what was he, 35 now? Yeah, 35. Uh, I still think he can deliver a great match over the course of a tournament. Can he deliver six or seven of them to win a Masters 1000? I don't know that. We have yet to see, but you still have to consider Monfils a threat in, in the short term. You know, one or two good rounds— and I think he got Medvedev, and that's just the way it is in our men's game. It's uh, competitive. Anyone can beat anyone on the day. So I I don't want to shortchange Medvedev. We'll see how it unfolds in Miami form, but if you get too much in your head about anything other than your game and your opponent and the ball and the moment, well, that can be a distraction. So maybe the ranking did play a small part.
1: Very well could have. Uh, And then lastly, just, you know, where are you with Andre Rublev, who we're going to get to the Miami stuff, but in terms of just beating the heck out of your racket, like budding your <laughs> knuckles. Where are you on that?
2: I just thought it was not clever. You know, we've seen him do that before. Isn't that Murray's move back yeah, in the day? Yeah, I think Andy Murray did that, and <laughs> I just think, wow. I mean, it just seems like that would ruin your chances in the match. Man, my hand would be crushed. I mean, it's like, we don't want to talk ice hockey again, no, but <laughs> no, punching the helmet, all my, all my buddies used to punch the helmets, and like that would just do my hands, in, and then mm. I had trouble holding onto the stick. If that's going to affect... You, the most important connection you have on a tennis <laughs> court, the, your ha- your hand on the grip. Yeah. Why would you do that, man? I, I mean, know you're bleeding. It oh. was a lot of blood. It oh. was very it was violent. rough. But you know, I love the story about Rublev. His dad was a professional boxer. He got in the gym as a youngster. We didn't really enjoy it. He wanted to be out on the tennis court, which is great. But leave the boxing and the, and the punching back yeah, the in heavy, the gym. Hit the heavy bag before you come out.
1: <laughs> uh, well, let's talk about the Miami Open now as we move along into this tournament. The Miami Gardens Hard Rock Stadium. It's a, the bigger event. No more Key Bisc- Biscayne. You're joining us here on the podcast after calling some matches on the Regional Sports Network. One of those was Jensen be beating Coria and... It was a three-set-long match, but I bring this up because we had another little racket-throw controversy. Brooksby throws his racket in disgust to the corner, first mistake, and the ball man, ball boy there, kind of (laughs) jumps, gets out of the way a little bit, but still gets it. And he only got a point penalty. So given the climate, given everything there, it wouldn't have shocked me if he got defaulted on that. They go with leniency. He only gets a point penalty. comes back to win the match. I mean, this is started becoming an epidemic a little bit here.
2: Yeah, it's uh, bad decision-making by all these players involved in this. It was a bad decision by Jensen, as much as I like him in his game and all the things he's doing. You know, he turned and threw that racket, and, you know, we're a little fortunate in Miami that we don't have linespersons, remember, because we have the electronic line system. So it was just a ball kid there, and I know you said ball man. He was probably about <laughs> 30 years old. So he was pretty quick and resourceful getting out of the way of it. And I couldn't help but think of Nick Kyrgios in Indian Wells when he yeah, after threw his racket point. down after a match point, and it bounced and almost hit a ball kid at the back of the court. The kid had to move out of the way with it. And then Zverev and Acapulco. I mean, these are incidents that, guys, we just have to take care of this. You know, and Rafael Nadal talked about it. He said in press that we can't have this kind of thing. We have to learn to take care of our sport, take care of our racket, and not allow these things to happen because it doesn't represent our sport well. I know that. I'm, I know that all the guys are regretful of the things they did, and I know even Nick Kyrgios, as yeah. much as he tried to play it off, giving the kid a racket fine. But I know that no one feels good about those kinds of expressions.
1: You see it in sports all the time, and I do agree. I think there, none of these guys are bad guys. They're not trying to injure anybody. It's just a bad moment. This is this is the example of when you come down on someone with a stiff penalty. Because until you do that, it's, well, well I'm just going to get you no know, public opinion, might not like it, and I might get some tweets about me. Now, if you hit the, the next guy a little harder, that's going to make everybody take a step back and say, well, I obviously can't do this. It's yeah. not worth the risk. Um,
2: yeah, I mean, Jensen so. could very well have been disqualified. Carlos Bernardes was in the chair. I don't know if Carlos saw the racket toss, where it actually impacted. It hit the screen. It didn't hit the ball, kid. And then it landed on the court and then fell sort of into the mm-hmm. kid or the guy. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't a direct contact, but, you know, with Novak Djokovic being hit with a stray ball, uh, hitting a lines purse with a stray ball at the U.S. Open, you know, you feel like this could have easily been a disqualifiable, disqualifiable offense. So I feel Jensen got off a little bit lucky. I'm sure there'll be a conversation between the referee and Jensen and his future behavior moving forward. Now, will he be in a situation like Zverev? We'll have you know, sort of a, a suspended disqualification? I, I, don't I, know. Would,
1: I would be shocked with that just because what Zverev did was like <laughs> next level <laughs> and that was yeah. what he got. I don't know that you can equate that with the same thing, right. but... Nope. Um, a talking to a fine, I mean, that that's all. It'll that's definitely all be fine. Against. That's a definitely findable offense for sure. But no, heck of a player, you know, works next level, is cracking foreheads 100 miles an hour, uh, frustrates the heck out of guys. He's in that Daniil Medvedev section of the draw. I bring this up because if Medvedev gets to the semifinals, he's the new number one again. And it's actually not that bad of a draw, relatively speaking. We'll see if he gets Andy Murray in the second round, but... You know, he didn't, he doesn't have that murderer's row. Medvedev to bounce back, we'll see. Uh, and then that quarterfinal matchup would be maybe Shapovalov, maybe defending champ Hubie Hercosh, who a lot of people don't even realize or remember, won this event.
2: <laughs> I know, it's it's a great section. And that's what is so amazing about tennis, is when you get that draw, the possibilities and how they unfold. And that's why we love following these events day to day. I mean, Brooksby has got Basilejvili to play Roberto Bautista Agut, who got handed his lunch by Alcaraz in Indian Wells. (laughs) So he'll be on the lookout to hopefully improve his level. So there is so much good tennis in that section for sure. How
1: about a little Alcaraz-Sitsipas rematch, U.S. Open rematch, fourth round, could see it, would love to. That was a five-set thriller. Uh, Sitsipas, who's been, I don't want to say like floating, but... He hasn't, he's been a consistent top five player, but hasn't really taken the next step of, you know, throwing his hat in the race of, I want to be the number one guy. So this would be the perfect tournament for him to make that move. And, you know, if he can get through Alcaraz, maybe play Medvedev at some point in the semis could be something to watch.
2: No doubt, and and Pass, you know Berrettini, these guys are all looking for their first title of the season. Yannick Sinner, so I think there are a lot of guys who want to make some inroads, make something big happen early, so that they can have some confidence moving forward. Because you hate to, I mean, for these elite guys mm-hmm. to get into the middle of the season, you haven't yet broken through. You want to have something significant behind you to you know give you some impetus moving forward. So. This is going to be a very important week of tennis because, remember, this is the last hard court event before we shift gears onto the red clay. That can be important Mm -hmm. for a lot of American players, a lot of these guys who count on, you know, big aggressive plays before they get to the clay.
1: Felix Corda could be a third-round match, too, or one away from that, two guys, same age. Felix was kind of the quick riser of the bunch of the, I think, 2,000 birth years, and here comes Corda now. And uh, I'm also interested to see, Leaf, and I'll ask you, what should be a reasonable expectation for Taylor Fritz's follow-up after winning Indian Wells and, you know, not even being sure to play this event. He's in it. He's got a favorable seed. What should we expect from him?
2: Yeah. Well, if you want to be the lead dog and you want to be one of the guys to look forward to, you want to be a top 10 guy, you have to be able to produce consistently week to week. I think it was Andy Roddick who talked a little bit about that on TC live. And I agree. I mean, The top guys set themselves apart because not only are they great, which Taylor was, but they're consistent. So that means consistently finding ways to win, even on days when you're not at your best, even when you get bad draws, even when you have to play back to back. So whatever the challenges might be, you have to find a way to overcome them. So I think Taylor, I think he will demand of himself a good week. And I think if you want to be an elite player, that's the standard you put on yourself.
1: It's just insane how we took for granted what the big three did and the big four, two with Andy Murray. And, you know, just week in week out one results. Cool. All right. There's another tournament next <laughs> week. And last week, meant I'm gonna nothing. I'm going to do it again.
2: I'm going to do it again. And we
1: already know what the best second round match is. We got Rublev Kyrgios lined up. And with what Nick has shown that he's committed to playing a little bit, which is good. That match against Nadal was a very, very high level match. Um, you know, Rafa just coming up with the big points like he does. So Kyrios to be engaged, relative to Kyrgios standards is pretty good. And this is going to be a volatile match because I heard Kyrgios complaining about the stadium and liking Keith Biscayne better. We know Rublev isn't afraid to maim himself out there, so (laughs) expect some fireworks.
2: Don't tell me that Rublev's going to hit his strings again. (laughs) But no, you're right. That has fireworks written all over it. Whoever gets through that one, I, I think I'm going to pick Nick Kyrgios in that one just because Rublev, I don't think, possesses the kind of serve that is going to make enough of an impact on Kyrgios. And Kyrgios... One of the best five, six serves in the game. Yes. I think that's going to be a big factor. And whoever gets through there will probably be the favorite in the third round. And well, then you get into Opelka or, or excuse me, Sinner, one of those guys. So it, that's going to be interesting. But, I mean, I, I love watching both those guys play. So yeah, I'll give s- the slight nod to Nick.
1: They're one and one head-to-head. Head. It's been a while, but, yeah, it's almost like with, with Nick, you're, it's not who's in front of him because he can beat all these guys. Yeah. It's just can he mentally go the distance <clears throat> and physically too. Uh, and then the last thing on the men's draw, I'm just curious what the state of Alex Varev is going to be. Each tournament hasn't had the results recently, a lot of clouds and a lot of baggage over his head. Indian Wells did not go well losing to Tommy Paul in that third set uh, tiebreaker. So Zverev though has a section of, his draw, of the draw all to himself. What kind of level is he going to be at?
2: Yeah. And I, as I mentioned before, he's probably, I forgot to mention him. He's one of those guys who'd like to win his first title, you know, as he gets into the season. Cause he hasn't had much to go on. So, and who has he got like George church, yeah. born to George who's always dangerous and was beating all the guys. So I expect that he'll play well. I mean, I feel like there's a, a bit of a cloud hang over his head, you know, that was just such an unfortunate incident for everyone involved. I know he was regretful in Acapulco, you know, tried to rehabilitate himself in Davis Cup, maybe got a little boost from that, Um, but, you know, these guys are young, and they, you know, need a little bit of room to grow, you feel that he has made mistakes, and hopefully he can only get better, I think that's what all of us are trying to do.
1: Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. A couple more things with Leif Shiras here on Tennis Channel Inside In. Looking at the women's draw now where I, I mentioned before, Sabalenka is the top seed. I just haven't seen anything like the serve struggles when it's on, when it's off. It's just, it's remarkable. Uh, but I think we should talk about somebody who's on my short list of favorites here, and that's Naomi Osaka, who dismantled Kerber today, came in, I think, ranked 98th in the world, but we can just throw that out the window because when she's on, she said she is improving herself, talking to a, a therapist, and when she's locked in, I mean, there is very few, if anyone, who can play at her top level.
2: Yeah, and you know, she brings so much to the game. You know, we talked about the serve with some of the guys. It's same on the women's side. I mean, you if you have that serve, it just helps you get free points, gets you into the points you want, protects your serve, ultimately puts pressure on your opponent's serve, and she's big off the ground. She returns in a dangerous way. So, the number beside her name is not as significant as the confidence and the calm she needs when she brings to the court. And she seems to have that now after some disappointment in India Wells. So I'm glad that she's looking forward. Glad she's got good thoughts in her mind. And uh, I, I'm happy to see her play well. And if she does, she could be raising a trophy.
1: I mean, she's got an, a decent look at it. She plays Mukova next, who beat Layla Fernandez. Now, upset on paper, of course, but this is just like a microcosm of the rankings, right? Mukova was a former Grand Slam semifinalist, struggled, injured. So while the number might say, you know, Layla Fernandez, 18, Mukova unseated, like these are pretty similar at their apex level. That's a third-round match. That's Kontavit's section. Ali Risk has made a nice little run there. But Naomi and Contevit, fourth round, if we do get that, I mean, that's a chance for Contevit to notch that big win that she's been eluding.
2: Yeah, and she's trying to become this aggressive player. I think her coach has got her going on that, Dmitry what we'll Talk about a successful collaboration. He's instilled in her the belief that she can be aggressive, go for her shots and consistently get it done, which she's doing.
1: He's done it before with Sabalenka too. So exactly. like he 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 can he can translate that. I just wanted to bring up too before I forget. Today we actually saw first match since the Aussie Open final for Danielle Collins. Right. Three sets, tight one late. I don't know if it's rust, I don't know if it's just not getting match reps. If she comes in uh, with that nine next to her name. Uh, I think, I think that would make her the she's the top ranked American yes, right now. Yes. So this is, you know, not, not the name we would have expected, but Danielle Collins is the top ranked American woman.
2: Yeah. And I, I think it was a good match for her. Good for her to ha- be forced to win in the third set. She had to find a little something extra against Bondar, the Hungarian, you know, anytime you can win a match when you're okay, just coming back, or maybe you're not at your best. It's, it's all very positive for her. And, um, yeah, I, I like Danielle. I like her game. Obviously, the great success down under. She's going to be moving forward. Can she continue to, to build on this kind of success? We'll see.
1: We could go through, like, a bunch of different players that we like that we find that could win, uh, and I'll throw out a couple myself. But who are some that you're looking at, regardless of number, if there even is one, that could make a run? I should also add Coco Goff to the mix. She's, you know, had her 18th birthday. She's the 14th seed. Uh, And we're still, you know, she's improving, but we're waiting for that big result a Miami Open run to the final or even a championship, perhaps.
2: Yeah, she's always got possibilities. You know, there's so many hidden sort of gems in the women's. I mean, Madison Keys, she cooled off a little bit, but if she gets it going, she might play. Maria Sakkari, I believe, is that her, her section? You know, yeah. Madison Keyes could make a run. Sloane Stevens is actually in that same section, and we know Sloane, <laughs> when she gets back to an elite level, she can do big things in the game. So uh, there are a lot of hidden gems in there. I, I'm just not sure. I mean, Ostapenko, <laughs> Yelena. I mean, as pretty <laughs> as she can be. I mean, she is playing wonderful tennis now. So, you know, you could probably put your finger on any section of the draw and find someone who could potentially make a run. It's... Uh, uh, a lot of riches to choose from. Have anyone you see that stands out to you?
1: Well, uh, you mentioned Keys, and I think that's a good one. I mean, Svantech gave her one of her worst losses ever. Yep. I think she just caught, got caught on the train tracks there. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I do think that, and Tracy Austin brought this up, Maria Sokri is proving to be one of the toughest outs, where if you're looking at past results, she's just not getting upset like those huge upset results. So that would probably be a safe bet to gain some momentum. That Sloan Pagua match, I am I am uh, intrigued with because they're both hot and cold players from what we've seen. They could go on terrors. They could, you know, what the, was it last year where Pagua beat Pliskova like every time they played or something like that? Yeah. So,
2: and, you know, we're not even talking about Paula Badosa, the defending yeah. champ. I mean, she I'll, seems like yeah. one of those consistent, like a soccery yeah. right now. She's always going to be in the later and they rounds. they played a
1: heck of a match in Indian Wells. Exactly. Those two did. So
2: that's another name. I'll,
1: I'll throw out my f- personal More? favorite. Another one? Okay. Ange Jabbour, yeah. Eight seed. It's that quirkiness that no one really expects. There's some flair there. And I think the draw is kind of favorable. Uh, And
2: the drop shot. And the drop drop shot. shot. (laughs) Yeah. We did see an
1: upset while we were recording, though. Uh, Spitalina lost. So she's out of it as well. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I think that I I just I think Naomi Osaka is going to make a very deep run. I think we're going to see her in the final weekend. And it could be her tournament to bounce back, which would propel her for, as she says, being committed to the clay court season. But this is again. I'm Ash Barty retired, so this is an opportunity for all these women to plant their flag a little bit and say, "Okay, we respect her. We love Ash. She's the nicest right. person ever." But there's a new era, and you know, and then this could be the moment. I think ego. That's because Ash yeah.
2: has been standing at the front position at the ATM machine. Yeah, <laughs> And all the other women say, "Excuse me, Ash, you're taking all the major prizes. We'd like to have some yeah. of that too." Oh yeah. But she's I mean, one thing fun. about Anjibor and sort of Karolina Mukova, both players. A little bit of Ash Barty and that they play a wonderful underspin backhand at the right times. Enough on the forehand to hurt opponents. Transitional type of plays. I feel that players who have a little bit of that variety stand out a bit from just the heavy ground strokers who can play with pace. So you always have to consider them as, you know, maybe a dark horse to come through
1: it is crazy how Ostapenko just randomly decides she wants to be the best player in the world (laughs) for like a week or two every year. (laughs) So it's kind of nice, but no, I think it'll be a fun tournament. Uh, Can't wait to see what happens there. Uh, 15
2: Americans in the tournament. 15. Yeah. It's It's great to see. And so many of them with potential to do well.
1: The depth of the game from in this country hasn't been stronger in a long time. We'll see if they can get those world beaters to come out, but uh,
2: sixteen American men of the draw in Miami—that's pretty nice—and I think some real chances for them to go deep too.
1: Mm-hmm. Looking forward to it. Leaf, this was fun. Pleasure having you on here. Uh, and we did it without, until now, mentioning the Toronto Maple Leafs.
2: <laughs> Don't mention them. Or the Chicago Blackhawks. Oh, yeah. Not even worth mentioning.
1: No, no. But the Leafs, it's funny. You mentioned being married to a loyal uh, Maple Leaf yourself. <laughs> and they're, they're having another solid regular season. But the playoffs are coming, and there's some goaltending questions. So we'll see. I, I am also sorry that your, uh, your Princeton boys didn't make the hockey I tournament know. either.
2: Who did was it Harvard? Harvard. Oh yeah. my god. Lost yeah. already.
1: But you no know, Toronto Maple Leafs fans, you know, they're they're it's great because they are having a good year, but you know, <laughs> there's still that nervous energy already.
2: You know, the worst thing about Harvard getting in, as much as I love Harvard, James Blake is going to be in my ear cuz whenever we get to the hoop season or the football season, <laughs> I better not have having Harvard beaten pre pu Princeton because James Blake is usually on the text.
1: You me. were getting in on all year. I saw it was at Brett <laughs> Haber at the Dartmouth game, just yeah. making fun of you and Princeton. Yeah, I mean, it's I, just. just-
2: it's tough on the Tigers, I tell you.
1: Hey, Leaf, pleasure as always. Best of luck calling all these matches. We'll have to tune into the regional sports networks and uh, see what we got in Miami Open.
2: All right, thanks, man. Great to be a part of it.
1: That was Leif Cyrus on Tennis Channel Inside In. We're on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Go to tennis.com slash podcast. We're on all your platforms there. My name is Mitch Michaels, and we will be back next week. More podcasts, more coverage of the Miami Open. We'll be on the doorstep of the finals. Can't wait for that. Believe Sharis. I'm once again Mitch Michaels. This was Tennis Channel Inside. And In. thank you for listening. We'll see you next week.